These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hey, sis. Welcome to Girl Good Nightmares, where we help you sleep in melanated peace with a spooky twist. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into the show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcasts at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading Hot But Hannibal, a short story from the collection entitled The Conjure Woman, written by Charles W. Chestnut. To hear more about Charles W. Chestnut and The Conjure Woman, check out The Goofer Grapevine and Poe Sandy. John's sister-in-law Mabel and her boyfriend get into a fight that causes them to separate. While driving the family on a carriage ride, Uncle Julius's horse stops walking. He tells the family it's due to a ghost haunting the path. He then tells the story of a man named Hannibal who wanted to marry a woman named Chloe that showed no interest in him. Hannibal uses magic and conjuring to make Chloe believe that the man she wants to marry does not love her. By the end of the story, Mabel gains a different perspective and decides to meet with her boyfriend. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Hot Put Hannibal. I hate you and despise you. I wish to never see you or speak to you again. Very well. I will take care that henceforth you have no opportunity to do either. These words, the first in the passionately vibrant tones of my sister-in-law, and the latter in the deep and more restrained accents of an angry man, startled me from my nap. I had been dozing in my hammock on the front piazza behind the honeysuckle vine. I had been faintly aware of a buzz of conversation in the parlor, but had not at all awakened to its import until the sentences fell, or I might rather say, were hurled upon my ear. 
I presume the young people had either not seen me lying there, the Venetian blinds opening from the parlor windows upon the piazza were partly closed on account of the heat, or else, in their excitement, they had forgotten my proximity. I felt somewhat concerned. The young man, I had remarked, was proud, firm, jealous of the point of honor, and from my observation of him, quite likely to resent the bitter and what he deemed a slight or an injustice. The girl I knew was quite as high-spirited as young Murchison. I feared she was not so just and hoped that she would prove more yielding. I knew that her affections were strong and enduring, but her temperament was capricious and her sunniest moods easily overcast by some small cloud of jealousy or pique. I had never imagined, however, that she was capable of such intensity as was revealed by these few words of hers. As I say, I felt concerned. I had learned to like Malcolm Murchison and had heartily consented to his marriage with my ward, for it was in that capacity that I had stood for a year or two to my wife's younger sister, Mabel. The match thus rudely broken off had promised to be another link binding me to the kindly Southern people among whom I had not long before taken up my residence. Young Murchison came out of the door and cleared the piazza in two strides without seeming aware of my presence and went down the lane at a furious pace. A few moments later, Mabel began playing the piano loudly with a touch that indicated anger and pride and independence and a dash of exultation, as if she were really glad that she had driven away forever the young man whom the day before she had loved with all the ardor of a first passion. I hoped that time might heal the breach and bring the two young people together again. I told my wife what I had overheard. In return, she gave me Mabel's version of the affair. I do not see how it can ever be settled, my wife said. It's something more than a mere lover's quarrel. It began, it is true, because she found fault with him for going to church with that hateful Branson girl. But before it ended, there were things said that no woman of any spirit could stand. I'm afraid it is all over between them. I was sorry to hear this. In spite of the very firm attitude taken by my wife and her sister, I still hoped that the quarrel would be made up within a day or two. Nevertheless, when a week had passed with no word from young Murchison and with no sign of relenting on Mabel's part, I began to think myself mistaken. One pleasant afternoon, about ten days after the rupture, old Julius drove the rockaway up the piazza and my wife Mabel and I took our seats for a drive to the neighbor's vineyard over on the Lumberton Plank Road. Which way shall we go? I asked. The short road or the long one? I guess we better take the short road, answered my wife. We will get there sooner. It's a mighty fine drive round the big road, Miss Annie, observed Julius and it don't take much longer to get there. No, said my wife. I think we will go by the short road. There's a bay tree in blossom near the mineral spring and I wish to get some of the flowers. I expect you'd find some bay trees along the big road, ma'am, suggested Julius. But I know about the flowers on the short road and they're the ones I want. We drove down the lane to the highway and soon struck into the short road leading past the mineral spring. Our route lay partly through a swamp 
and on each side of the dark, unabrageous foliage, unbroken by any clearing, lent to the road salinity and to the air a refreshing coolness. About a half mile from the house and about halfway to the mineral spring, we stopped at the tree of which my wife had spoken, and reaching up to the low-hanging boughs, I gathered a dozen of the fragrant white flowers. When I resumed my seat in the rockaway, Julius stared at the mare. She went on for a few rods until we had reached the edge of a branch crossing the road when she stopped short. Why did you stop, Julius? I asked. I didn't, sir, he replied. Twas the mare stop. Kill on there, Lucy. What you mean by this foolishness? Julius jerked the reins and applied the whip lightly, but the mare did not stir. Perhaps you better get down and lead her, I suggested. If you get started, you can cross on the log and keep your feet dry. Julius alighted, took hold of the bridle, and vainly essayed to make the mare move. She planted her feet with even more evident obstinacy. I don't know what to make of this, I said. I have never known her to balk before. Have you, Julius? No, sir, replied the man. I never has. It's a curious thing to me, sir. What's the best way to make her go? I expect, sir, that if I turn around, she'll go the other way. But we want her to go this way. Well, sir, I lie if we sit here for five minutes, she'll set up by herself. All right, I rejoined. It's cooler here than any place I've struck today. We'll let her stand for a while and see what she does. We had sat in silence for a few minutes when Julius suddenly ejaculated. Uh-huh, I know why this mare don't go. It's done flash across my remembrance. Why is it, Julius? I inquired. Cause she see Chloe. Where is Chloe? I demanded. Chloe's done been dead this 40 years or more, the old man returned. I hadn't sat over yonder on the other side of the branch under that willow tree this blessed minute. Why, Julius, said my wife, do you see the haunt? No, he answered, shaking his head. I don't see her, but the mare sees her. How do you know, I inquired. Well, sir, this is a gray horse, and this is a Friday, and a gray horse can always see a huntable walks on a Friday. Who was Chloe? said Mabel. And why does Chloe's haunt walk? asked my wife. It's all in the tale, ma'am, Julius replied with a deep sigh. It's all in the tale. Tell us the tale, I said. Perhaps by the time you get through, the haunt will go away and the mare will cross. I was willing to humor the old man's fancy. He had not told us a story for some time in the dark and solemn swamp around us, the amber-colored stream flowing silently and sluggishly at our feet like the waters of lead, the heavy aromatic scent of the bays, faintly suggestive of funeral reeds, all made the place an ideal one for a ghost story. Chloe, Julius began in a subdued tone, used to belong to old Massa Dougal McAdoo, my old massa. She was a lackly gal and a smart gal, and no miss took her up to the big house and learned her to wait on the white folks, till by and by she become Miss Old Maid and appeared to allow she run the house by herself to hear her talk about it. 
I was a young boy then and used to work by the stable, so I know everything was going on around the plantation. Well, one time old Master Dougal wanted a houseboy and sent down to the quarters for to have Jeff and Hannibal come up to the big house the next morning. Old Master and old Miss looked the boys over and scuffed with themselves for a little while. Then Master Dougal says, We likes Hannibal the best, and we gonna keep him. Here, Hannibal, you'll work out the house from now on. And if you good and mind your business, I'll give you Chloe for a wife next spring. You, Jeff, you can go back to the quarters. We ain't gonna need you. Now, Chloe had been standing there behind old Mrs. doing all this here talking, and Chloe made up her mind from the very first moment she saw eyes on them two that she ain't like that man Hannibal and wasn't never gonna care for him. And she was just as sure that she would like him Jeff and was going to set the stove by him whether Mass Dougal took him to the big house or not. And so, because Chloe was monstrous sorry when old Mass Dougal took Hannibal and sent Jeff back. So she slipped around the house and waylaid Jeff on the way back to the quarters and told him not to be downhearted. But she was going to see if she could find some way or another to get rid of Hannibal and get Jeff up to the house in his place. The new houseboy caught on monstrous fast. And it wasn't no time hardly for Master Dougal and old Miss both meant to allow Hannibal was the best houseboy they ever had. He was part and supple, quick as lightning, and sharp as a razor. But Chloe didn't like his ways. He was sure he was going to get her in the spring, that he didn't appear to allow he had to do no coating. And when he run across Chloe about the house, he'd swell around her in a biggity way and say, Come here and kiss me, honey. You're going to be mine in the spring. You don't appear to be as fond of me as you ought to be. Chloe didn't care nothing for Hannibal, and she hadn't cared nothing for him. And she saw just as much about Jeff as she did the day she first laid eyes on him. And the more familiar this year Hannibal got, the more Chloe let her mind run on Jeff. And one evening she went down to the quarters and watched till she got a chance for to talk with him by herself. And she told Jeff to go down and see old Aunt Peggy the conjure woman by the wind of the road and ask her to give him something to help get Hannibal out the big house so the white folks would send for Jeff again. And being as Jeff didn't have nothing to give Aunt Peggy, Chloe gave him a silver dollar and a silk handkerchief for to pay it with. But Aunt Peggy never liked to work for nobody for nothing. So Jeff slipped on down to Aunt Peggy's one night and gave him the present he brought and told her all about him and Chloe and Hannibal and asked her to help him out. Aunt Peggy told him she'd work the roots and for him to come back the next night she'd tell him what she could do for him. So the next night Jeff went back and Aunt Peggy gave him a baby doll with a body made out of a piece of corn stocking with splinters for arms and legs and a head made out of an elderberry pad and two little peppers for feet. This here baby doll, she says, is Hannibal. This here pet is Hannibal's head. And these here pepper feet is Hannibal's feet. You take this and hide it under the house on the sill under the door where Hannibal will have to walk over every day. And as long as Hannibal comes anywhere near this baby doll, he'll be like it is. Light-headed and hot-footed. And if them two things don't get him into trouble mighty soon, then I'm no conjurer. But when you get Hannibal out of the house and get all through with the baby doll, you must fetch it back to me, for it's a monstrous power for Goofa, and it's liable to make more trouble if you leave it laying around. Well, Jeff took the baby doll and slipped up to the big house and whistled to Chloe, and when she come out, he told her what old Aunt Peggy had said. 
and Chloe showed him how to get under the house, and when he had put the conjuring doll on the seal, he went long back to the quarters and just waited. Next day, sure enough, the goofer missed the work. Hannibal started in the house soon in the morning with an armful of wood to make a fire. And he hadn't got across the dough sill for his feet began to burn so bad that he dropped the armful of wood on the floor and woke up old miss an hour sooner than usual. And of course old miss ain't like that and spoke sharp about it. When dinner time come and Hannibal was helping the cook carry the dinner from the kitchen to the big house and was getting closer to the door where he had to go in. His feet started to burn and his head began to swim and he let the big dish of chicken and dumplings fall right down in the dirt in the middle of the yard. And the white folks had to make their dinner that day off in cold ham and sweet taters. The next morning he oversleep himself and got into more trouble. At the breakfast, Master Dougal sent him over to Master Maribel Udis for to borrow a monkey wrench. He ought to been back in half an hour. But he come poking home by dinner time with the screwdriver instead of the monkey wrench. Master Dougal sent another boy back with the screwdriver and Hannibal didn't get no dinner. Long in the afternoon, old Miss sought to Hannibal weeding the flowers in front of the garden and Hannibal dug up all the bulbs that old Miss had sunk away for and paid a lot of money for and took them down to the hog pen by the barnyard and fed them to the hogs. When old miss come out in the cool of the evening and seen what Hannibal had done, she was most crazy, and she wrote a note and sent Hannibal down to the overseer with it. But what Hannibal got from the overseer didn't appear to do no good. Every now and then his feet miss the torment him and his mind get all mixed up, and his conduct keep getting worse and worse, till finally the white folk couldn't stand it no more, and Master Dougal took Hannibal back down to the quarters. Mrs. Smith says Master Dougal to the overseer. This year boy done got so trifling here lately we can't keep him at the house no more. And I was fashioning him to you for to straighten him up. You's had occasion to deal with him once so he knows what to expect. You just take him in hand and let me know how he turn out. And when the hands come in from the field this evening you can send that yellow boy Jeff up to the house. I'll try him and see if he's any better than Hannibal. So Jeff went up to the big house and pleased Master Dewey and old Miss and the rest of the family so well that they got to liking him first rate. And they'd have forgot all about Hannibal if it wasn't for the bad reports would come up from the quarters about him in for a month or so. Fact is, Chloe and Jeff were so interested in one another since Jeff been up in the house, they forgot all about taking the baby doll back to Aunt Peggy. And it kept working for a while and making Hannibal's feet burn more or less till all the folks on the plantation got to calling him Hotfoot Hannibal. He kept getting more and more trifling till he got the name of being the most no-count man on the plantation. And Mass Duga had to threaten to sell him in the spring when by and by the goofer quit working and Hannibal missed to pick up some and make the folks set a little more stove by him. Now this year Hannibal was a monstrous smart man and when he got rid of them so feet, his mind kept running on his other troubles. Here there every four weeks, before he had an easy job waiting on the white folks living off the fat of the land and promised to find his girl on the plantation for a wife in the spring. And now he was back in the cornfield with the overseer cussing and raring if he didn't get a hard task done with nothing but cornbread and bacon and molasses to eat. And all the field hands making remarks and poking fun at him cause he'd been sunk back from the big house to the field. And the more Hannibal studied about it, the more matter he got, till finally he swore he was going to get even with Jeff and Chloe if it was the last in that. 
So Hannibal slipped away from the quarters one Sunday and hid in the cone up close to the big house till he see Chloe go down the road. He waylaid and says, Howdy, Chloe. I ain't got time for the fool with field hands, says Chloe, tossing her head. What you want with me, hot butt? I wants to know how you and Jeff is getting along. I lies, that's none of your business. I don't see what occasion any common field hand has got to mix him with the fellas of the folks who live in the big house. But if it'll do you any good to know, I might say me and Jeff is getting along mighty well. And when we gonna get married in the spring, and you ain't gonna be invited to the wedding neither. No, no. See, I wouldn't expect to be invited to the wedding, a common low-down field hand like I is. But I was glad to hear you and Jeff is getting along so well. I didn't know but what it meant to be a little tired. Tired of me? That's ridiculous, says Chloe. Why, that man loved me so I believe he'd go through fire and water for me. That man is whopped up in me. Uh-huh, says Hannibal. Then I reckon it must be some other man what meets a woman down the creek in the swamp every Sunday evening to say nothing about two or three times a week. Yes, it is another man, and you is a liar when you say it was Jeff. Maybe I is a liar, and maybe I ain't got no good eyes. But listen, I is a liar, and listen, I ain't got good eyes. Jeff is going to meet that woman this evening long by 8 o'clock, right down here by the creek of the swamp, about halfway between this plantation and Mass Maribel Utley's. Well, Chloe told old Hannibal she didn't believe a word he said and called him a low-down Negro who was trying to slander Jeff because he was more luckier than he was. But all the same, she couldn't keep her mind from running on what Hannibal had said. She remembered she hear one of the men say they was a gal over Master Marable Utley's plantation where Jeff used to go with some before he got acquainted with Chloe. Then she missed the figure back, and sure enough, they was two or three times in the last week when she'd been helping the ladies with their dressing and other fixing in the evening and Jeff might have gone down to the swamp without her knowing about it at all. And then she missed the member little things which she had taken no notice of before and what would make it appear like Jeff had something on his mind. Chloe said a monstrous heap of stuff for Jeff and would have done most anything for him so long as he stuck to her. But Chloe was a mighty jealous woman and while she didn't believe what Hannibal had said, she see how it could have been so and she determined for to find out for herself whether it was so or no. Now, Chloe hadn't seen Jeff all day, but Mass Duga had sent Jeff over to his daughter's house, young Miss Margaret, who lived about four miles from Mass Duga's, and Jeff wasn't expected home till evening. But just after supper was over, and whilst the ladies were setting out on the piazza, Chloe slipped off from the house and run down the road. This is the same road we come, and when we got most to the creek, this year's same creek right before us. She kind of kept in the bushes at the side of the road till finally she see Jeff sitting on the bank on the other side of the creek, right under that old willow tree drooping over there water yonder. And there now and then he get up and look down the road towards Mass Marbles on the other side of the swamp. Plus, Chloe like she go over that creek and give Jeff a piece of her mind. Then she like she better be sure before she done anything. So she held herself in the best she could, getting madder and madder every minute till by and by she see the woman coming down the road on the other side from towards Mass Marble Ulysses Plantation. 
And when she see Jeff up and run toward that woman and throw his arms around her neck, Poe Chloe didn't stop to see no more, but just turned around and run to the house and rush up on the piazza and told old Mazaduga and old miss all about the baby doll and all about Jeff getting the goofer from Aunt Peggy's and about what the goofer had done to Hannibal. Mazaduga was monstrous mad. He didn't let on at first he believed Chloe, but when she took him and showed him where to find the baby doll, Mazaduga turned white as chalk. What the devil's work is this? No wonder the poor man's feet itched. Something got to be done to learn that old witch to keep her hands off my men. And far as this here Jeff, I'm gonna do what I promise so the darkies on this plantation will know I means what I said. But Mas Duga had warned the hands before about fooling with the conjuration. In fact, he had lost one of two men himself from being goofy. And he would have had on Aunt Peggy whip long ago, only Aunt Peggy was a free woman and was feared she conjured. And while as Master would say he didn't believe in conjuring and such, he appeared that Lyle was best to be on the safe side and lay Aunt Peggy alone. So Master would done does as it says. If Ole Miss had played for Jeff, she might have kept him. But Ole Miss hadn't got over losing them bulbs yet, and she never said a word. Mass Dougal took Jeff down to town the next day and sold him to a speculator who started down the river with him the next morning on the steamboat for to take him to Alabama. Now, when Chloe told old Mass Dougal about this year baby doll and this other goofer, she hadn't hardly allowed Mass Dougal to sell Jeff down south. Howsomever, she was so mad with Jeff that she sweated herself she didn't care, and so she hit her head up and went round looking like she was real glad about it. But one day she was walking down the road when who should come along but this here Hannibal. When Hannibal see that he busts out laughing fit for the kill. Yeah. <laughs> oh me, honey, hold me. I laugh myself to death. I ain't never laughed so much since I've been born. What you laughing at, hot foot? <laughs> what I laughing at? Why well, I was laughing at myself, Toby Show. Laughing for to think what a fine woman I made. Chloe turned pale and her heart come up in her mouth. What you mean, says she, catch a hold of Bush by the road for to steady herself. What you mean by the kind of woman you made? What do I mean? I means that I got squared up with you for treating me the way you done. And I got even with that yellow boy Jeff for cutting me out. Now he's gonna know what it is to eat cornbread and molasses once more and work from daylight to dark and to have the overseer driving them from one day's enter to the other. I means that I sent word to Jeff that Sunday that you was gonna be over to Mass and Maribos visiting that evening and you wanted him to meet you down by the creek on the way home and go the rest of the road with you. And then I put on a frock and a sunbonnet and fixed myself up to look like a woman. And when Jeff see me coming, he run to meet me and you'd see him, for I'd been watching in the bushes before and discover you coming down the road. And now I reckon you and Jeff both knows what it means to mess with a man like me. Poe Chloe hadn't heard more than half of the last part of what Hannibal had said, but she heard enough to learn that this man had fooled her and Jeff, and that Poe Jeff hadn't done nothing, and that for loving her too much and going to meet her, she had caused him to be sold away where she never ever see him no more. The sun might shine by day and the moon by night. The flowers might bloom and the mockingbirds might sing. But Poe Jeff was done lost of forever and ever. 
Hannibal hadn't wrote him finished what he had to say when Chloe's knees was gone way under her and she fell down in the road and lay there half an hour or so before she come to. And when she did, she crept up to the house as pale as a ghost. And for a month or so, she crawled around the house and appeared to be so poly that Mads Dugas sent for a doctor and the doctor kept on asking her question till he found out she was pining away for jail. When he told old Master Dougal, Master Dougal laughed and said he fixed that. She could have no houseboy for her husband. But old Miss say no, Chloe ain't that kind of girl and that Master Dougal should buy Jeff back. So Master Dougal read a letter to this year's speculator down to Wimbledon and told him if he ain't done sold that man south what he bought back for him, he'd like to buy him back again. Chloe missed the pick up a little when old Miss told about the letter. Howsomever, by and by, Master Duga got an answer from the speculator who said he was monstrous sorry, but Jeff had fell overboard and jumped off the steamboat on the way to Wimbledon and got drowned, and because he couldn't sell him back, must as he liked to oblige Master Duga. Well, after Chloe heard this, she wasn't much more used to nobody. She pretended to do her work, and old Miss put up with her and had to go to the doctor to give her medicine and let her go to the circus and all, so it's everything for her to take her mind off her troubles. But then none of them do no good. Chloe got to slipping down in the evening just like just coming to meet Jeff, and she sat there under that willow tree on the other side and wait for him night after night. By and by, she got so bad the white folks sent her over to young Miss Marcus for to give her a chance. But she run away the first night, and when they looked for her the next morning, they found a corpse laying in the branch yonder right across from where we sitting now. Ever since then, said Julius in conclusion, Chloe's hunt come every evening and sits down under that willow tree and waits for Jeff, or as it walking down the road yonder, looking and looking, waiting and waiting for her sweetheart, when never, never coming back to her no more. There was silence when the old man had finished, and I'm sure I saw a tear in my wife's eye, and more than one in Mabel's. I think, Julius, said my wife after a moment, that you may turn the mare around and go by the long road. The old man obeyed with alacrity, and I noticed no reluctance on the mare's part. You're not afraid of Chloe's haunt, are you? I asked jocularly. My mood was not so responded to, and neither of the ladies smiled. Oh no, said Annie, but I've changed my mind. I prefer the other route. When we had reached the main road and had proceeded along it for a short distance, we met a cart driven by a young Negro, and on the cart were a trunk and a valance. We recognized the man as Malcolm Murchison's servant, and drew up a moment to speak to him. Who's going away, Marshall? I inquired. Young Mr. Malcolm gone away on the boat to New York this evening, sir, and I'm taking his things down to the wharf, sir. This was news to me, and I heard it with regret. My wife looked sorry, too, and I could see that Mabel was trying hard to hide her concern. He's coming along behind, sir, and I expect you'll meet him up the road a piece. He's going to walk down as far as Mr. Jim Williams's and take the buggy from there to town. He expect to be gone a long time, sir, and say he probably ain't never coming back. The man drove on. There were a few words exchanged in an undertone between my wife and Mabel, which I did not catch. 
Then Annie said, Julius, you may stop the rockaway a moment. There are some trumpet flowers by the road there that I want. Will you get them for me, John? I sprang into the underbrush and soon returned with a great bunch of scarlet blossoms. Where is Mabel? I asked, noting her absence. She has walked on ahead. We shall overtake her in a few minutes. The carriage had gone only a short distance when my wife discovered that she had dropped her fan. I had it where we were stopping, Julius. Will you go back and get it for me? Julius got down and went back for the fan. He was an unconsciously long time finding it. After we got started again, we had only gone a little way when we saw Mabel and young Murchison coming toward us. They were walking arm in arm, and their faces were aglow with the light of love. I do not know whether or not Julius had a previous understanding with Malcolm Murchison by which he was to drive us round by the long road that day, nor do I know exactly what motive influenced the old man's exertions in the matter. He was fond of Mabel, but I was old enough and knew Julius well enough to be skeptical of his motives. It is certain that a most excellent understanding existed between him and Murchison after the reconciliation, and that when the young people set up housekeeping over at old Murchison Place, Julius had an opportunity to enter their service. For some reason or other, however, he preferred to remain with us. The mayor, I might add, was never known to balk again. Are you still up? Girl, good night. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.